0: will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. I am so glad that you're here. As summer continues to wind down, I am continuing to go back through some of our past episodes to pull some nuggets and perspectives that I think deserve some additional airtime. I hope that you are enjoying this little trip down memory lane and that you're finding some great material to inspire you in these last few days of summer as we look toward fall. I know you will have a full plate just like I will, so I hope that you're getting some time away and that you're using this content from She Said, She Said podcast to really fuel and inspire you as you jump back into things. This week's Encore Conversation is a great one to add to your list. Carrie Colbert is my guest, and she is the founder of Houston, Texas based. Curate Capital. That is a venture capital fund that Carrie created to invest in women-owned companies and to help them accelerate their growth and to give others an opportunity to invest in these companies as well. Now Carrie joined me earlier this year as part of our collaboration series with the Southern Coterie Network. I have loved this collaboration and these conversations with incredible entrepreneurs like Carrie and of course, last week's Encore conversation with accessory designer Lili Saduki. But I also hope that you will check out all of the other conversations as part of this series as well. They are all fantastic. But of course, whether entrepreneurship is your thing or not, you will undoubtedly learn a lot from these incredible women including how they navigated through some pretty major career pivots. As I have thought about this conversation today with Carrie, a couple of observations come to mind. Every decision that we make and every action that we take gives us an opportunity to really build or to leverage our influence. That's true in how we engage with others, But it's also true as it relates to things like where we spend and invest our money. And as women, we often have more buying power and more potential for impact through our pocketbooks than we sometimes realize. This is one of the reasons why I especially love showcasing female entrepreneurs and business owners. It's why I talk about them not only on this podcast, but also on my social media as well. And it's why I like giving them some additional exposure on this platform. Now, before I jump into today's conversation with Carrie, there are a few things that I think you'll really appreciate and that I want to highlight. First is her career pivot story, which is fascinating. She traded in the world of oil and gas investment for an Instagram influencer side hustle. And then she parlayed both of those things into building Curate Capital. As part of that, Carrie talks about how she figured out what was next. This is a question that I hear from so many people. How do you know If you're not sure what you want to do next, how do you figure that out? And Carrie shares some great perspective on that question. She also shares some great perspective on investing 101 and a few things that you should know about being an accredited investor. And it's not as complicated as we sometimes make it out to be. Carrie and I also talk about what she looks for from businesses who pitch her for funding. All of those topics and lots, lots more. So, friend, here is my encore conversation with Curate Capital founder Carrie Colbert. Carrie, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura. So nice to be here with you. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I have been looking so forward to this conversation. This conversation, as you know, is part of our collaboration series that we're doing with the Southern Couterie. And I'm really happy to have you here and talk about your journey. You've had a very unique, a really incredibly unique journey in how you got to where you are. Let's talk about Curate Capital, what that is and how you started it. Sure. Curate Capital is a venture capital fund that invests
1: in businesses by women for women. Specifically, we invest in consumer brands that women want to buy for themselves and their families. Let's talk
0: about how you got
1: started. Sure. So I actually had the idea for Curate Capital in 2019. And actually I always remember our legal documents are dated December 2019 and we were all set to launch officially in early 2020, but then of course the world changed. So we really only launched in earnest in 2021, but it was a long time coming. So. I don't really come from a traditional VC background at all. Um, I'm from a small town in the Texas Panhandle, and I was the first in my family to go to college, and so early on, all my decisions were just very practical and pragmatic in nature. It wasn't a, a question of, gosh, what am I passionate about? I just had to choose what was going to you know, get the most scholarships in college and then get me a job that paid well afterwards. So. I studied petroleum engineering um, in undergrad and graduated at the top of my class and then came to work um, in Houston in the energy industry. Uh, while I was working, I also got my MBA. And I was fortunate that the, the vast majority of my career was spent at a very entrepreneurial company. And so I worked in that industry for almost 20 years. And while I was never passionate about the industry itself, I was just so blessed to work for... Um, a guy i worked directly for the founder of this company who's now a billionaire but he ran and structured the company in such an entrepreneurial way it was very engaging as an employee because everyone was so motivated to work in the same direction so i saw the power of ownership and equity i saw the power of open book management i saw the power of aligning incentives within an organization and all of those things really inspired what i'm doing today but i got to a point in that career where. Frankly I was just kind of burned out and so I um, retired quote unquote um, in my late 30s um, from that uh, career from that industry and I wasn't certain what was going to be next I just knew that I wanted it to be something entrepreneurial in nature and something that was a bit more in line with my personal interests and passions and so long story short I started connecting with brands that I liked on Instagram um, whether they followed me or I followed them you know the founders and I would strike up conversations and um, I slowly started investing my own money, basically everything i had made for my first career, I invested back into female founded brands that I personally liked. And I did that for about five years before I ever thought of launching a fund. But really three important things happened during that. I was kind of testing my own um, you know, idea without even knowing it. But the three important things that happened were one, I was having great fun in my professional life. And that wasn't a word that I would have used to describe my previous career. Two, I was seeing great results. I saw that with a little bit of investment of capital, these companies were really able to scale and generate returns for me. And then three, I had great deal flow. And what I mean by that is I saw so many opportunities. and I had so many women reaching out for funding. I saw so many women building incredible businesses. I knew that this opportunity set was so much bigger than what I could personally um, handle. And so that's when I decided to start a fund. And so I did so pretty naively. Um, even though I had my MBA and I was you know, director of finance and worked with uh, private equity and all that, venture capital was still new to me. And so I had a, a steep learning curve. Um, the first learning curve was fundraising. I had never really been in a sales position. And so raising money was something completely new and daunting and scary to me. Um, and we set out to raise $10 million for our first fund. And um, gosh, there were days and weeks and you know, months, I didn't know if we were going to get there. But ultimately, we surpassed that goal by 50%, um, raising $15 million to invest in female founded companies. Now, while it's great that we surpassed our goal, what thrills me even more personally is how we did it. You know, we ended up with over 80% of our investors being women, which is really unheard of in this industry. You know, even though there are other female focused funds, most of them are backed by, you know, the same corporations and men and institutions as, as everything else. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is a differentiating point for us is that as we invest in these female founded businesses, our investors are ready to support those brands and not just our investors, but our larger community. You know, women want to support other women and, and we're glad to provide a way to do that both financially and otherwise.
0: I love that, but I'd love for you to really dig in a little bit deeper And tell listeners about how how you created that, because it is very unusual to see a disproportionate number of women. Were you recruiting them? Were you sort of actively modeling this and people were, were attracted? What was different about what you were doing than what other people have and are currently doing as it relates to attracting female investors? sure you know i'd love to say that it was some big master you know plan of mine from the beginning and
1: and certainly i had a goal of having a lot of women investors but like many things in life Sometimes it happens when one door shuts, you open another door that turns out to be better, right? And in my very uh, naive brain, when I started fundraising, I thought, "Well, oh, we'll just raise a little small ten million dollar fund because that'll be easy. I will just go out to the people from my oil and gas network, and you know they'll give me five hundred thousand dollars here, a million dollars here, and so on and so forth." Now, of course, when I reference my oil and gas network, we're talking about mostly men, and while mostly a few men, of them. Yeah. Yep. Did get the value proposition. I got to tell you that I face a lot of pushback, a lot, a lot of pushback. Um, and, you know, we could say, gosh, we're in 2023 now. Surely that's changed. You know, it was 2021 when I was fundraising. But the fact of the matter is that in a lot of cases, there's still a lot of, you know, kind of old school thinking and sentiment there. Um, a few anecdotal pieces of evidence. Um, I had people ask me questions such as, gosh, Carrie, are there really that many businesses that women start to do a whole fund around them? So that was one. And then another gentleman who I admire greatly Um, in many ways, um, you know, he cautioned me. He said, Carrie, I think you're really going to turn off a lot of people with this female focus. You're going to lose out on a lot of investors. He said, so I'd caution you against that. And like I said, I value his wisdom in a lot of other areas. But for me, this just makes a good business sense. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that women businesses are underfunded, yet they're overperforming. And I have somewhat of an inside track through relationships with a lot of female founders. And so that just means that we're Going to be able to drive outsized returns we're going to be able to deliver really good outcomes for our investors so you know whether or not you you know believe in you know the the cause of investing in women and i think it's the right thing to do i mean it's they're severely underfunded beyond that it just makes good business sense right so that's you know whether you look at it from a money mindset or a um you know just kind of a cause perspective it makes sense all around
0: yeah, I'm. I'm curious as to whether you've heard back from that mentor since, since he gave you that quote unquote advice <laughs> to hear what what he thinks about what you're doing now. Yes, yes,
1: he's uh, been very kind with his praise and and you know credited me with with the you know the vision I had. But um, yeah, I mean there are still people who have kind of you know old school mindsets and are are resistant to change, whether it's conscious or not. I think that yeah, it's just kind of embedded into some people. And so we have to push through that. And so to answer your question a bit more fully, so I I thought that, it was going to be really easy. And I just reached out to these mostly men for my oil and gas network. And we just raised $10 million real quickly. Well, when those doors were shutting or I wasn't getting answers or I was getting nos, I was just kind of talking about what I was doing on Instagram and and not even, you know, explicitly selling or fundraising uh, because you really can't do that um, from a legal perspective. But I was just talking about, Hey, we just invested in this business and this is what they do. Or, you know, I would talk about how women got less than 2% of venture capital money in the US. And so. As I just kind of naturally talked about my life and what I was doing, I had women reach out, you know, DMs on Instagram and, and so on and so forth saying, I really get this or, you know, oh, gosh, I'm a customer of that brand. I, I had no idea that I could invest in it, too. And so, yeah, sign me up. Where do I sign? Where do I send the money? And and so women I had never met, you know, were investing anywhere from 25000 to 250000 or in one case, you know, over a million dollars, because they, they got it so innately, they understood the value proposition and wanted to be a part of what we were doing.
0: One question I have is, were these women who were already investing, they were active investors? Or were they women who were like, you know, I've never really thought about this. I've never thought about, you know, investing my money in a female founded company like this. I suspect... Yeah. Um, for the folks listening, there's a mixed bag of people that maybe are active investors or those that are kind of maybe mystified by the process. What does it take to invest in a fund like yours? Let's break this down and I'd love for you to answer the question yes. about sort of who those initial invest those female investors were. And then let's talk about what does it take for somebody who's listening who wants to invest in a fund like yours? yes so the cool thing about this not only do we have about 80 percent women over or about two thirds of our investors
1: are first time venture capital investors and so as i went along this journey that became a, a huge passion and kind of secondary mission of mine is just educating more women and more people about what is investing what is venture capital how does it work because i have a strong belief that knowledge is power and we've got a certain segment of the population who have reserved a lot of the power for themselves because they've had a lot of the knowledge and even myself with an mba and having you know led finance at a, a big corporation even i didn't know that much about venture capital but when you really look into it it's not that complicated but those select few who have, have kind of been in the game forever talk about it in you know a lot of jargon and uh, terms that maybe aren't easy to understand and so you know a big mission of mine is hey let's break down the jargon. Let's talk about it in normal terms and make it more approachable and accessible so that people can evaluate whether or not it makes sense for them. And it it may not be something that everyone's interested in. That's totally fine. But if you understand, then you can make an informed decision. You have to understand the rules of the game and know how to play the game before you can win at the game, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about tolerance for risk. Um, As you think about female investors and taking those risks with their money, maybe what advice do you have for the best ways to think about and evaluating deals in the venture Mm -hmm. space? Yeah, sure. So one thing that I learned in my oil and gas
1: days... um, is this don't put all your eggs in one basket right um we had the opportunity to invest in oil and gas deals as our company would buy new properties every month they would offer that to employees and we had the chance to put our personal money in and and that's really how i kind of grew my net worth and and i remember one of the executives would stand up at the meetings every month and say you know this investing advice put all put put eggs in every basket don't put all your eggs in one basket and and that's really what a vc fund does for you you'll um see plenty of opportunities these days you can invest directly in companies but what a vc fund does for you is you can rest assured that we are doing the the work behind the scenes to vet these deals you know making sure that everything's in shape on the accounting and legal side and finance and operational we're doing all that to kind of de-risk your investment Plus you're getting a portfolio of companies like to date, we've invested in 15 companies in our first fund. And so while not all of those may be winners, you've got a higher chance of something being a big winner, right? And so that's that's one way is if you can invest in a fund, then you're going to get a diversified portfolio where maybe you're invested in 10 or 15 or 20 companies and you get to follow along their journeys, learn from them and benefit financially. Now, traditionally speaking, here's how venture capital works in this country who can participate. Okay. The sec says you have to be an accredited investor. And when I first heard that term, I thought, well, that sounds like some certification or something you have to apply to be a part of. No, 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 that's not even the case. An accredited investor is just a defined term that the government has defined as someone who either makes more than $200,000 a year or has a net worth greater than a million dollars. So if you have an income greater than two hundred thousand dollars, and it technically says for the last two years, and you expect that to continue, then you're eligible to invest in they call these private investments like venture capital and angel investing and stuff like that. So that's all. You don't have to apply. There's no certification. It's just an income or net worth requirement. And so once you do that, um, most venture capital funds they'll have a minimum investment, and it traditionally is pretty high. It might be half a million dollars or something but it was important for me to make that as low as practically possible so that we could bring more people in to start learning about it so you know it's hard to say but if you do your research different funds have different numbers you know in my first fund we accepted checks as low as twenty five thousand dollars because we just wanted more women in the fold we wanted more people more women in the game to learn about investing to learn about scaling companies to learn about all this stuff so we made it as accessible as possible with some other restrictions the government puts on us you know so there's some practical constraints i have to work within but you know we wanted more people to get to participate another option that i'm seeing really popular right now is uh these things called spvs that stands for special purpose vehicles and so you know maybe you don't have 25 or 50 or hundred thousand dollars saved up to invest in a fund but you can start dipping your toe in the water by participating in these SPVs. And what that typically is, at least for us, say we've already invested in a company and they're growing and they're raising more money, we might open up an SPV and that's a chance for, again, it has to be accredited investors. So you've got to have that, you know, income requirement we talked about, but you can invest an even smaller check into these companies um, almost directly. So there are several different ways, but yeah, I mean, not to, Put a plug in for ourselves, but um, we're trying to do a lot of educational material on Instagram, on our Curate Capital Instagram account, you know, so just to demystify the whole process, because it does look very, um, you know, opaque. It feels like a black box that's hard to understand, but it's really not that complicated. And as you start getting exposed to more, as you learn more. then you'll start to understand the game. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we as women don't just sit on the sidelines because we don't understand something, but rather start investing in yourself, invest in your learning, and then you can, you know, choose what financial investment is right for you. But we really have to be proactive in how we manage our lives, including our finances.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I love that concept of tying investing in yourself in a way that gives back. that helps you earn money for yourself. It also helps other women, other people succeed. There's just there's so many elements to that that I love. So I'll That's include right. um, links to Curate Capital and to your Instagram. Mm-hmm. There is some fabulous information that you've included on your website. And so I really urge folks to, to check that out because it's great. Carrie, even though you have this amazing fund and you're doing incredible work to move the needle, there's a number of women, number of people out there who are also investing in female-funded companies, but the needle's moving really, really slowly. Maybe talk about what more you would like to see or what more maybe listeners other ways that they could engage that would help move the needle as it relates to funding in female-funded companies, female-founded companies rather. Yeah, certainly. Yes, the stats just came out
1: for 2022. And they're really abysmal. In 2022, women got 1.9% of venture capital dollars in the US. That's it, even it, worse, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, even worse. worse yes. Yeah, so it's, it's not uh, even that the needle's not moving, it's going backwards. It's going backwards. Um, yeah, it was, it was two something last year, I think 2.4 um, in 21. And then last year, it dipped to 1.9%, which is just so abysmally low. It's really hard to even comprehend. Um, and, and so, you know, you'll read a lot of people uh, pontificating on this that, well, women aren't starting as many businesses. Well, that's false all the stats show that women start almost half the businesses in the U S the number somewhere between, you know, 40, 45 plus percent. So it's not that there aren't enough female founded businesses. I think you have to go back to the source and you know, there's also a problem with not having enough women writing checks, not enough women investors. If you look at the stats for venture capital, um, Gosh, I I should know this off the top of my head, but the number of female partners at venture capital fund is also abysmally low. It's it's something like less than 15%. Don't uh, quote me exactly on that, but it's really low. And so from my perspective, The the real shift that needs to happen is we need to have more women investors. And so that doesn't mean just venture capital investors, but more women as angel investors, more women writing checks into venture capital fund. We have to change the face of what an investor looks like before we change the face of who actually gets funded right because we all know there are all these biases that that you know we can read about in in you know psych- psychology literature and that we learn about in school but you know bottom line is people invest in what they're familiar with they gravitate towards what they know and so if you go into a boardroom filled with you know a bunch of um homogenous looking people they're probably going to be more likely to fund something that looks like them than something that's foreign to them you know i i had one investor um a male who was considering investing in our fund, and and I was showing him some of our companies, and he's like, "But does the world really need another makeup company? Uh, we had just invested in uh, Live Tented. Well, now they just closed their Series A and raised another ten million dollars, and have doubled year over year over year, and they just keep growing like phenomenally. And so, you know, the point is, she had a very specific perspective on what the the beauty space needed and, and she's of, of Asian descent and her company Live Tinted caters to darker skin tones and she is just killing it in the marketplace. And that's the the thing is that we really believe at the heart of it, women know what other women want. Women control over 85% of the purchasing power in households. So specifically, that's why we're focused on consumer goods because women are making those decisions. They know what they want, they know what their family needs and they're buying those products. So, you know, I think the changes is, is more, Um, nuance than just saying, well, gosh, venture capital investors need to send more money to women. Or it's also more than just looking at it as a cause that needs fixed. Because then if you just go sprinkling money everywhere, well, you're not going to drive the returns. The, The answer in my mind is activating more women as investors. It's doing our diligence as investors, investing in the best of the best, and then letting that success drive even more investment, right? So it's kind of a a long-term change that has to take place. But that's why I'm so super passionate about not just what we invest in, but getting more women educated on investing themselves, because that's how we're going to power change um, and really move the needle on not only how money is invested, but who is wealthy in this country.
0: I'd love, Carrie, for you to pivot, because we also have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs who are starting businesses who are maybe in the midst of a career pivot like you did, like I did. Um, Maybe let's talk about what you look for as you think about companies to invest in and what those entities should be thinking about as they're making their pitch maybe for the first time to a VC fund like yours. Yeah, great question. You know, I think there's all sorts of funding
1: sources out there from grants and loans and angel investors and VCs that can all get kind of overwhelming and confusing. Even within the VC realm, different companies, different funds have specific investment theses. theses. Um, <laughs> sorry, I kind of fumbled That's that word. Good but good and what I mean is they've got kind of a mandate of exactly what they they invest in. And sometimes that can be pretty narrow. They'll say we invest in this industry at this revenue level, this stage level. And if you don't fit those parameters, then it's not going to be a good fit for you. So sometimes, um, you know, companies, I see founders reaching out to funds that are just already going to be a no because it just doesn't fit their thesis. So as much as possible, do your homework to figure out who might be a good fit for you. Now, I still encourage people to reach out to me, even if maybe you're not um, exactly a fit for our thesis, which I'll share more about in a moment. Um, but still, I'd love to visit with founders because we can still connect you with resources or other investors or whatever. So On one hand do your your research and don't you know just reach out to every investor but for us specifically you know feel free to um, reach out and if we're not a good fit maybe we know someone that is or we know resources that'll help you get to that stage where we are a good fit so at curate capital specifically we're looking for revenue generating companies i hate to put a a firm number on it but generally speaking i want to see like more than a million dollars in revenue um, in the last 12 months so growing companies that are revenue generating they found their product market fit and now they're just really looking to take that capital and scale and so that's just our thesis there are other funds and other investors that will work with you from the beginning they call it this pre-seed stage or from launch or whatever and they'll work with you in the early days to build your company that's not really our sweet spot our sweet spot is after you've kind of already worked out some of those you know uh you know issues in the beginning and you've really are onto something good now and now you know that capital will be like pouring accelerant on the fire right it'll just make the fire burn faster we're not really coming in and fixing problems necessarily you know you're onto a good thing and you know if i just had more money i would use it for x y and z and that would really take me to the next level and that's where we come in
0: yeah yeah i love that so are you, as as you have folks pitching to you, are you giving them feedback, giving them the opportunity if maybe, you know, no, this time, an opportunity to come back to you to actually sort of work together to address those potential risks or issues that you identify that maybe they don't quite meet the requirements at that moment, but hey, come back to us in 12 months. Maybe talk about how that process works from your perspective. Yes. So
1: it's actually, we're recording this on the last day of the month. And so I was just looking at how many pitch decks we've received this month. And it's over 150 pitch decks that we've received in, in February, the shortest month of the year. So it's really incredible the number of, you know, inbound, uh, pitches we receive. And, you know, we're really honored that people are entrusting us with their ideas and, you know, their businesses to to evaluate from this perspective. The fact of the matter is, you know, we can't invest in every business. I, I wish I had, you know, a billion dollars to invest. And, in, you know, there's probably would be no shortage of good businesses even at that stage. But the fact of the matter is with our first fund, we had $15 million. And um, we write check sizes from, you know, 500000 up to, say, a million dollars or so. Because when we invest, we want to really, um, you know, go all in, so to speak. We're not sprinkling small checks everywhere. We're becoming partners with you and we want a lot of skin in the game. So, you know, we're not able to reply to every pitch we get, but we do um, take a lot of of pitch meetings. I bet we've probably had 30 pitch meetings this month with one-on-one with founders and Even like you said, if it's not a good fit for us now, we talk about, you know, different resources we have to help you get to the next level, or if it's probably not going to be a good fit for us, you know, maybe the wrong industry or whatever, we know other funds and have other connections in the industry where we can refer you. And then lastly, something that I'm really excited about is that we're building what we call the founder toolkit, um, where even if, you know, gosh, even if we don't take a meeting with you, even if we're not going to invest, you know, even if whatever, we're we're putting together a pretty robust um, uh, list of resources for founders that, that is built upon what we see founders needing when we meet with them. So whether that's help with their pitch deck or help with their financial projections or help getting their revenue up, we've really got a a pretty incredible list of resources we've been working on for, gosh, a year now. So we're excited to roll that out in the next month or so to all the founders that reach out to us and then also probably on our website and social media as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. So we talked a little bit upfront about your career pivot you were an investor in the company in which you were an employee, which enabled you to to frankly cash out at a really young age and gave you the ability to decide to make a big career pivot. I'd love for you to talk a bit more and go a little deeper into that process because you were also working, not working, but you were dabbling, maybe working, yeah. I'm not sure what the right term is, because you were an influencer, an early, early influencer on Instagram which I'm, as I understand it, was part of what kind of got your attention about this idea of potentially investing in female companies. Maybe talk a little bit about the the process that you went through to help make the decision about what you were going to pivot to next. Yeah, you know,
1: even when I left the company where I worked, I had no clue what was next. But I'm a big believer at this point in life that nothing is wasted, right? I see so many young people wanting to pursue their passion from such a young age, or to, you know, be in their dream job, whatever that means from a young age. But there's something to be said for just putting in the work and learning from it, you learn what you like, you learn what you don't like, you learn what you're good at, what you'd rather outsource, you know, you learn your strengths and your weaknesses and all those things. So if you look at life as a learning experience, you can eventually like craft that life that you love that dream life, so to speak. But it takes a lot of You know just hard work and so when i left oil and gas i really didn't know what was next i I, like i mentioned had a few criteria like i like the entrepreneurial side of things i like you know kind of the startup life i like um uh, i want it to be something that i'm personally passionate about but it's just by putting yourself out there and learning so yeah Coincidentally, I was on Instagram the week it launched, which is why I personally have a very short handle at Carrie C. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I just personally liked photos. And I've always always kind of had this creative bent in the background. So in the early days of Instagram, when it sufficed to just post a pretty picture, I was good at that. Um, I'm not so good at the videos and all the things that you have to do to, to um, play the Instagram game these days. But all that to say that I was on Instagram early and grew when it was early or easy to grow. And through that, you know, I've got um, not the hugest community by any means but i've got a lot of loyal followers who have been with me for 10 or 12 years and some even before that that's another rabbit trail uh, i'll say for another time but you know so these ladies have been long time loyal you know connections of mine and so i think because i never was trying to you know make a quick buck and you know sell Push affiliate links on them day in and day out. You know they really paid attention to when I was doing this and trusted you know where I was going with it. But and also that's how I started connecting with brands. Sometimes I would work with them on an influencer collaboration and then go down the business um, path and talk to them about if they were looking for investors or not or board members or whatever. And so um, yeah, so back to your question about how. pivot, I think it's just becoming more self-aware of what you like and what you want. And then you can create that role for yourself. You don't have to have the perfect pedigree or education or experience. You know, we're fortunate to live in a day and age where you can kind of learn on the fly in, in many ways and, and, you know, really craft that life that, that you're going to love. And so, you know, I, I certainly work you know, as hard or harder than ever, but I really enjoy the work we do. And it's so much more than gosh, investing in 15 or so businesses thus far. It's working with this incredible ecosystem of women from founders and, you know, the women that work at these companies and our investors and the community that supports our, our companies. It's just also inspiring on so many levels.
0: I love that. I I love that. You've talked about working hard. You've talked about really investing in your education. I'd love for you to talk about how you actually learned the VC space. I mean, you talk about the fact that you did a lot of research and you learned, but, but how did you go about that? Was there a process you went through? Did you make a list? Did you like you know find people to talk to? Did you take courses? What did you do exactly that helped you really learn this space? Or really, I guess, sort of round out the knowledge you already had. You had your MBA, which you got while you were still working in your corporate job. But maybe talk a little bit about the process that you went through for learning this.
1: Well, I'll I'll start by saying that I I learned on my own dime, right? As I was investing my own money into businesses, I was new to that. And in some cases, the founders were new to it. I was uh, the first investor in a company called Pack Party out of Austin, um, and this was probably seven or so years ago. And I was her first investor and it was the first investment like this I had made. And so I, we joke now, the founder and I, Jordan, we're very close friends. And, you know, we were both just learning together. I mean, and we went through, you know, hell and back personally and professionally. And, you know, some of it was nice and pretty and fun. And some of it was, you know, a little rough and a little, um, um, I don't want to say contentious, but you know, learning is not always easy. So I was investing my own money and learning along the way. Um, No formal courses or anything along the way, but I think we we are fortunate to live in a time where you can learn so much by googling, by reading. By um, you know, there's a a lot of VC buzz on Twitter. Twitter's not my preferred platform, but I'll go there just to read. Like, what is the conventional wisdom that people are, are saying about the industry? You know, what is the state of the industry? And then I think in many cases, though, it's certainly well to be an outsider because as an outsider, you can learn about the industry and the traditional rules, if you will, but then you can figure out, okay, where do I wanna challenge those norms? Where do I wanna challenge the status quo? Certainly, some conventional wisdom is there for good reason and, and we'll, we'll adopt that as it fits, but, but it's a good chance to go in and be like, but does it have to be that way? And how can we do things differently, better? Um, how can we, we tweak things to, to fit? today's um, generation the female demographic what can we do differently that's going to appeal to that customer if you will um, better than the traditional system at the time uh, for instance there were no vc funds that had differentiated branding or websites if you were to go to a vc fund website it was all in navy and navy blue and, you know, dark neutral colors and, you know, very serious fonts and, you know, very serious names. And so, you know, when I came onto the scene, I mean, that's my background. I love color. I love marketing. I love branding. And so we kind of made a big splash with like hot pink and you know, neon yellow and green as our brand colors. And, and, and now I'm seeing more of that. I'm seeing more VC funds try to differentiate themselves with unique branding and all that sort of stuff. But it was really kind of unheard of at the time, especially, think of me going out to male investors with my, you know, kind of hot pink pitch deck and all this sort of (laughs) stuff was a little different. Um, But I think that's one of the things that sets us apart. I mean, we seem more relevant and more approachable and just more friendly than uh, the average um,
0: venture capital fund experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Carrie, maybe um, as you think back, Uh, over the last few years, and the experiences that you've had, and you talked about that first investment, and how much you learned, and how much the founder of Pack Party, right? Pack Party? Party. Yes, yes. How much both of you learned in that process? Maybe talk a little bit about what some of those lessons were that you learned?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great question. I think number one is that building a a company is not easy. It's not always going to be smooth sailing and you're going to have to have hard conversations and you're going to have to navigate both the ups and the downs together. And, you know, it's not a case where I I write a check and walk away and can just, you know, uh, hope for the best. We like to be involved. And, and the key though, is being able to navigate those, those tough times with a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of grace and, 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 you know kindness um i think that's missing a lot in in the business world and and i really try to to take the personal part out of it i even try to take you know my own interest out of it and when a founder is struggling just ask what can i do to help you know because ultimately if if they personally are doing better their business is going to do better and, and my returns are going to take care of themselves so you know i just look at it as helping these founders and and early on i think i probably went in with you know too much arrogance and thinking i knew you know more about you know x y and z that that she did or he did well not he but founder one or founder two you know what i mean but I, I think going into things with a very humble um approach and understanding that the founder the ceo whoever they know their business better than i do but i do have some things i can bring to the table so you know i just try to do regular check-ins and ask how can i help and I'm not the expert on everything, but I do have a few key things that I can bring to the table. So it's been definitely a, a time of, of a lot of learning. And I think that's really um, what I love about this is just you can continuously learn and grow and none of us ever have all the answers. And that's why it takes, takes all of us together to you know, kind of get to the desired outcome that we all have. So definitely a team approach, definitely taking a humble, you know, how can I, I help you sort of approach leads to the best outcomes as I've seen it to date.
0: Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. So, as you know, influence is a theme that runs through mm. this podcast. We talk about the how how we can build it and sustain it through a lot of micro habits. And you just identified a number of them, right? Investing in yourself, investing in learning, investing in others, being open, having that mindset that's really oriented toward learning. I'd love, Carrie, for you to talk a little bit about how you think about your own influence and what it means to you at this stage in your career oh thank you yeah you know i i did the influencer thing
1: for i don't know five six years and the traditional sense and by that i mean monetizing it you know doing paid partnerships doing you know a lot of affiliate work all that And that's fine but i think that's a very narrow view of what influence is um and certainly some women have extraordinary social selling skills and i applaud them um in fact one thing i forgot to mention earlier is that um almost a third of the capital we raised for fund one came from influencers so i love this trend that that i are kind of yeah uh, and so, segue. I'll come back to the question, but yeah, as so I was personally investing, I saw how excited companies were to have me as an investor. And I'm not even that big of a deal on the internet. Um, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but you know, they are like, "Great! You know, an influencer invested in us. You know, we'll get a little bit more um, influencer marketing. We'll get a little bit more, you know, knowledge in that realm. A little bit more exposure. All that stuff. And and like I said, I'm not even that big of a deal. So as I was fundraising, I, I thought, well, how can we get this at scale? Well, ultimately, we. Um, uh, had an influencer agency reach out and they were wanting to offer their roster some opportunities to have equity and this made perfect sense so you know this core group of influencers invested over four million dollars personally in the curate capital and so i love this this trend that that I think we're seeing and that that even we kind of pioneered about you know, influencers putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, investing to grow their long-term financial picture, but also then if they want, they can use their skills as an influencer to benefit their long-term financial picture, right? As they help companies grow, they have ownership in those companies and ultimately will reap the rewards. So it's a pretty cool concept that we're really excited about and we're just scratching the surface. I mean, there's, there will be more to come for sure. Um, so yeah, I think influence is so much more than you know using affiliate links on social media. I think for me now, my influence is very, very much less about selling things, uh, selling products, and it's more so about just um, having the the boldness to create a life you love. It's a, it's about sharing knowledge about business and investing. But for me, you know, I, gosh, I'm in my late 40s at this point, and I I think at this, you know, we we've accumulated enough uh, wisdom that anything that I can do to help others, um, whether that's from the business perspective, or just a personal perspective, you know, really be able to take ownership and accountability for their own life and create a life that they're going to be happy to lead. I think that that to me would be the ultimate, you know, influence that I would wish to have.
0: Yeah, I love that answer. That's amazing. Harry, This has been such a great conversation. I know folks are going to love hearing your perspective. And I'm really happy to have you here as part of this collaboration series that we've been doing with the Southern Sea. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Laura, I'm so honored. You are an amazing uh, interviewer. I love listening to your episodes. And now I'm, I'm just
0: privileged to be a part of it. So thank you so much for having me. Hey friend, thanks so much for joining me today for this encore conversation with the fabulous Carrie Colbert. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode and any topics that Carrie and I talked about that really resonated with you. So send those, send that feedback and your comments my way. You can reach me through the website at she said, she said podcast.com or on social media. You can take a quick screenshot of the episode and send me a message. You'll find me at at Laura Cox Kaplan on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course, threads. Until next time, friend, you take care and I'll talk to you again soon. And of course, remember, She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.